series of talks from the book of Philippians, and now with only a few weeks to go, I'll recap a bit of this journey for us. And my approach has been one of mindfulness, one consistent with that of Paul as he wrote to his friends in Philippi. He wanted them to get their minds right. Uh, He wanted them to take on the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have the attitude of Jesus. And as I've said this entire time, you have to get out of your mind. Go out of your mind. It's a good place to be. Don't stay inside your own head because it's a busy, wacky place up there. Sort of like a nightclub after midnight, if you're not careful. Dark and noisy and a lot of conflicting voices and temptations and general unhealthiness. And we need a singular focus for the sake of our sanity, for the sake of our own well-being, and for certainly the sake of those around us. And so all along the way through the book of Philippians, Paul sticks to this theme. What is the mind of Christ, the values, the ethics of Jesus? And Paul begins with thanksgiving and gratitude. Start right there. Appreciate the life that you have. He moves there to boundaries. Do what you do and do it well, but you can't fix, change, or correct the motives and the hearts of other people. You just can't do that. In fact, the quickest prescription for insanity is to try. Try to change somebody else's thinking. And then Paul challenges theirs and our citizenship. You don't belong to this world, he says. You belong to Christ. Your primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And again, it's the focus of our minds. And Garrett spoke earlier this month about the natural conflict that follows being torn between two worlds, here and what is, and there and what will be. And then Paul moves on to humility and sacrifice emptying ourselves of our, eager, of our egos and our selfishness that we might work out our salvation, as we talked about last week, and put it all integrated together. So if the book of Philippians closed right now, we would have enough to keep ourselves busy for the rest of our lives if this is all we had. And we would, if we put it into practice, would probably achieve a level of peace and tranquility in our own minds that few people actually enjoy. Think about what we've covered. Gratitude, boundaries, focus, humility. Don't miss these. They are simple, but they are extraordinary. Be thankful. Don't get tangled up with people and things you can't do anything about. Focus on God's kingdom, not anyone else's. Give up your selfishness and look out for others and keep working all of this into and out of your life. Keep practicing these things. And Paul seems to realize that we need to take a little break right here from all of this. Because he pauses after piling all of this onto the Philippians to take care of a little personal business with the Philippians before diving back in to a few more instructions before he finishes. Now pauses are good. Aren't they? Timeouts, intermissions. There's an old Hebrew story about a schoolboy, the son of a famous rabbi, and he would come home from school every day, and he would drop his bag, and he'd grab a snack, and he'd go out the back door into the woods every day. And his father became concerned about what might be going on in the woods and who he might be meeting there. So one day he pulls him aside and he says, Son, you do this every day. 
Will you go out the back door and into the woods every afternoon when you come home from school? What are you doing? And the boy says, oh, don't worry, Papa. I go to the woods to pray. In the woods, I can talk to God. Well, the rabbi was pleased with this and pleased with his son's answer, but he had a further question. He said, my son, your father is a rabbi. Haven't I taught you that God is the same everywhere you go? You could talk to him here. And the boy answered, of course, Papa, I know that God is the same everywhere, but I'm not. Well, that's wisdom from a child. We all occupy multiple busy spaces. School, work, family, social life, volunteering, career, others that need our time and our attention. And we have to be in those places doing what it is that we do. But we must also have a quiet space, a space where we can be different. A place that upon hitting the pause button, we can hear God speak. We can reflect a little bit, rest a little bit. We can take care of our personal business, a bit of self-care, because you can have a world of helpful, even revolutionary instruction, but if you don't pause with it and settle with it, you won't retain it, and you certainly won't put it into practice. As Americans, we are all obsessed with information. Information, information, and we get all of this downloaded into our brains. And to tell you the truth, I don't think God designed us to take in as much information as we are taking in on a daily basis. Hallelujah. And you have to pause and step away. Find a quiet place where you can really hear God speak. Paul does exactly that here. No heavy-duty commandments. No relentless, here's what you should, ought, need to do. No weighty, mind-blowing theological revelations. He just pauses to talk about his friends. And this is Philippians 2, 19-30, where he does exactly that. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. The Apostle Paul has anxiety. Doesn't that help you? Just think about that. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, 
because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. The word of God for the people of God. Now, two people, personal friends of the Apostle Paul are mentioned here. You saw the first one. His name is Timothy. He's well known in the New Testament. And we have two of Paul's letters that are written to Timothy. He was Paul's apprentice, his Padawan, his junior associate. We have no indication that Paul had a natural son, but he seems to have taken Timothy in as his own child. And he says as much in the text, Timothy has proved himself as a son with his father. Timothy had traveled the world with Paul. He had stayed near him during his imprisonments. Even as Paul writes these words, he is in prison. And even Timothy was thrown in jail a few times before it was all over. Ultimately, he would become the bishop of Ephesus, to whom Paul wrote. And he would pastor there until he was martyred about 100 A.D., a full generation after the Apostle Paul. We know about Timothy. What about this other guy? Epaphroditus. How many of you have ever heard of Epaphroditus? Well, if you haven't studied the book of Philippians, you've never heard of him. Because this is the only place in the entire New Testament that he is mentioned. Here at the end of chapter 2 and at the end of chapter 4 of this single book, what we know about him is limited. His name is Greek. That is, he is a Gentile. And his name is the masculine form of Aphrodite, common for the period. His name means charming or lovable. We can take from this that he was a convert to Christ, a convert maybe even under the Apostle Paul's ministry, and everyone in Philippi knows him, and he's obviously living up to his name because everybody seems to love him, and they miss him. Now, it's geeky conjecture here, but humor me. I, I, was just, I was just saying to my son, Braden, this week, who wanted me to tell all of you today that he's 15 years old and he is now the tallest person in our family. No, 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 don't encourage him, please, please. He'll be six foot shortly, I'm sure. But he has passed the old man now, so he thinks that's a big deal. He passed his brothers a long time ago. But I told him the other day, I was driving him to work. He works at Sandestin. Maybe you should go see him sometime. He works. Uh, some of you should go do the climbing wall at Sandestin. He'll be there to help you get in the stirrups and up the wall. And he's a great little job, and the only problem is he can't drive yet, so somebody has to drive him to work. And I, and I was telling Todd the other day, I know we're trying to teach responsibility by sending your kid to work. But if you have to drive in this traffic all the way to Sandestin every day, I don't know if we're gaining anything in this process. We're on our way to Sandestin the other day, and we're talking, and he, I don't know where it came from, but he is just waxing eloquently all of these philosophical thoughts. And uh, I said to him, I said, maybe you should be a philosopher. And he went, like somebody on the History Channel? And I said, Exactly. That's what you should do. And he gave me the usual. Pfft. This is what he said. No, Dad. We have you. <laughs> That's not the punchline. <laughs> we have you. 
We don't need any more nerds in this family. <laughs> I tried to raise scholars. I got jocks. What can I say? Anyway, here's a little nerdy historical observation, a little timeline. Paul founds the church in Philippi, about 50 AD. Epaphroditus is converted at some point in that period and becomes a follower of Christ and a leader in the church. Paul, a decade later, finds himself in prison in Rome. The church at Philippi, concerned for the apostle Paul, send Epaphroditus all the way from Philippi, it's 800 miles, from Philippi to Rome, where Paul is in prison with a care package. That's what's going on here. And so Epaphroditus, on foot or by boat, covers those 800 miles, making that journey from Philippi to Rome, an envoy to the church of Philippi to its founder. And what happens when Epaphroditus gets there? He's so sick, he's nearly dead. And to tell you the truth, it would take about three weeks to walk that distance. And if any of us walked for three weeks under ancient primitive conditions without the benefit of Merrill hiking boots, Gore-Tex rain gear, synthetic outerwear, antibiotics, ibuprofen, high-protein supplements, and the like, we would all probably be dead when we got there. Amen? Hard journey. But Epaphroditus survives, and for that reason, that reason, Paul writes this magnificent letter that we have in our possession. Because Epaphroditus, now well recovered and feeling whole, will carry this letter that will become Scripture. He will carry the scroll back those 800 miles and read it to the church at Philippi as a report of what's been going on at Rome. And the Greek Orthodox Church tells us that Epaphroditus eventually becomes the bishop of Philippi himself and pastors the church that the Apostle Paul founded. Geeky or not, I think that's fantastic because it's the background. We think of Paul, he's just sitting in a prison cell and thinking, who could I write today? No, there's real purpose and reason behind this. He's not wasting his time, and he's certainly not wasting the effort to get a message to these people 800 miles away. If Epaphroditus had not come to Rome with that care package Sent by the church at Philippi, we would not have this letter in our possession today. Maria Montgomery, and I have a picture of her here. Maria is from Sweden, and she is a writer. And when she was a child, she was very shy and backward, she says. And in the midst of her childhood, her mother died. And she felt very much alone. Awkward and alone, she spent most of her time reading books and dreaming about the life that she didn't have and a mother that she didn't have. And she was lonely. And one day she saw an ad in a magazine saying that a young girl in Kenya was looking for a pen pal, and she replied to the ad, and Maria in Sweden began this long-distant friendship with a girl her own age in Africa, and the two girls were fascinated by each other's lives. They were so different. Kenya was wild and untamed, and Sweden seemed like a magic kingdom. And the girl in Kenya was so inspired in writing to Maria, she said to Maria, one day 
I'll somehow fly in the sky to make a better life for myself somewhere else. In time, the girls became teenagers, and as teenagers do, they fell apart from one another, lost track of one another. Maria here eventually moved to Cape Town, South Africa to work for a charity that helps the street children there. And when she got there to Cape Town, she'd been there a little while living in Africa, and she got to thinking for the first time in years about her old pen pal in Kenya, wondering whatever happened to her. And on a whim, she went to social media, and she did a search, and she found a woman with the same name, her old pen pal's same name, but this woman was living in America. It couldn't be the same woman, but it was. And there they are today. She kept her promise for a better life. She worked and she scrambled. She came to the United States. And these two women who were childhood pen pals now live in Seattle together as sisters. And when Maria met her again face to face for the first time and met her husband, the husband said this, Without you, Maria, my wife would have never left Kenya. And if my wife had never left Kenya, I would have never met her, and we would not have the family that we have today. That's the dynamic of the book of Philippians. Do you understand that? That long journey, that pen pal journey, if it hadn't taken place, we wouldn't hold in our possession what is so valuable to us today. So who is this Epaphroditus? He's a Philippi native, a servant of Christ. The reason Paul wrote this letter and why we have all of these words and stories in our possession, we would not have them without him. But above all, Epaphroditus is a good friend. The best kind of friend that you can have. The one who comes whatever distance it takes to help you out when you need something. And Paul says of him, he is my brother, my co-worker my fellow soldier sent to take care of my needs, honor people like him. He risked his life to help me. Honor people like him. It's a rare word in the Greek. It means costly, pricely, a rarity. What Paul is saying here is that friends like this don't come around every day. People like this are not commonplace. And if you find somebody like this, and you find a friend like this, you better hang on to them, and you better thank God for them. Do you have an honor role? No, we're not back to the geeky stuff. Do you have a collection of people that you prize? It doesn't have to be a big collection. The old idiom is that in your lifetime, you will be able to count your true friends on one hand. One hand. But if you're able to do that, you are blessed beyond measure. Because true, lasting friendship is a rarity. And Sarah Ockler adds this, Those friends that you can count on one hand are the ones you need to cherish, and don't trade a single one of them for a hundred people of the other kind. It would be better to be completely alone than with a bunch of people who aren't real. People who are just passing time. 
So here's a mental exercise for you. You want to play a game? Let's play a game. Everybody close your eyes. No, it's not a Baptist invitation. It's okay. Don't worry. Everybody close your eyes. I'm watching. I can see you. Let's look into our minds a minute. Go back to your childhood. You remember friends from there? Kindergarten? First grade? I can see people like Joey Wall Raven and Shane Kinsey. To middle school, to high school, Carrie, Tammy, Hal, Trey, Dave. College, young adulthood, Tommy, Scott, Chris, Philip, Chad. On to where you are today, those who have come into your life and left, leaving a mark, those who were irreplaceable but are now gone, those who remain, whom you know that you could call on no matter what. Stay with it just a minute. All right, open your eyes. I bet you got one or two in there. May not be a long honor roll. The honor roll is never real long. But the people that you think of really matter, don't they? They really count. And this is a spiritual practice. This is an act of gratitude. A powerful pause in the story of Philippians. A powerful pause for all of us. We have had people who have given us themselves. Not money. Not what can be gained. Not relationships for the purpose of mutual backscratching or advancement. Simple Friendship, the kind of friendship where you would do whatever it takes and whatever is necessary. It's the kind of friendship Jesus described himself. This is my commandment, that you love one another. And no greater love hath any man than this, than he who would lay down his life for his friends. It's a deeply spiritual thing. Think now about what Paul has written in this great letter. Look not after your own interests, but after the interests of others. Because as he writes those letters, Epaphroditus is sitting in the room with him. A living example of everything he's talked about. I have no idea if this story is true. It sounds as if it could be. It was popularized by Father Anthony DeMello 40 years ago. If you've never read DeMello, I recommend him to you. He is a unique combination of Asian, Indian, and Jesuit priest, a spiritual master, fantastic storyteller. And he tells a story about these two soldiers, Joe and Carl, close friends during World War I. They had enlisted together and they served together alongside each other and found themselves near Verdun in France in the dreaded no man's land. The enemy was entrenched, and it's just this narrow strip of land filled with landmines and barbed wire and machine gun fire, and the routine was to advance a few yards only to fall back a few yards, advance a few yards and fall back a few yards, this tug-of-war between each side, a stalemate, basically. And one day, as they were retreating, Carl was struck and fell. They got back to their base, and Joe looked around for him and couldn't find him, and he said to his commanding officer, I've got to go back and get Carl. And his commanding officer said, no, you can't. He's dead. Face it. And I need every man in the field, and if you go back, you'll get killed. And Joe disobeyed. He went back into no man's land, and he found his friend, 
He brought him back, and as he brought him back to base, he was dead. And he gently laid him down on the ground, and as he laid him down on the ground, the company noticed that Joe, too, now had been mortally wounded and was dying. And the commanding officer was furious. He stood over him and he said, I told you that he was dead. And I told you that you would get yourself killed. What a waste. And Joe says, no, it wasn't a waste. Because when I got to him, he was still alive. And he looked at me and he said, Joe, I knew you would come back. Greater love hath no man than this. He would lay down his life for his friends. If you've got a friend like that, cherish them. If you don't have a friend like that, be a friend like that. And it's amazing how quickly those type of friends will find May we pray together. A beautiful prayer based on the words of William Cooper. Who said, You must know that I would not love you half as much if had I not believe that we would be friends for all eternity. For there is not enough room for our friendship to unfold here in this small nook of life that we have. Therefore I am, I must, and I will always be your friend forever. Make us friends like that, O God, we pray.